Hello and welcome to MindQuest. I am your host, Miguel Morales, and this is Mission Control Center. Hello and welcome one more week to Mission Control Center, your one-stop shop for IT careers and recruitment advice. This week we're interviewing Rune from Learn Python with Rune. Wuna holds a PhD in computer science and works as a freelance Python consultant specializing in big data and back-end development. When the pandemic hit, he kick-started the learning platform Learn Python with Wuna to teach others how to learn Python and apply it. Keep listening to learn about his career story and how one should go about mastering this powerful programming language. As always, you will find the full interview at mindquest.io slash blog alongside our latest resources for IT pros. But without further delay, let's welcome Wuna. Hi, Rune. Welcome to Mission Control Center, and thanks so much for sharing your story. How did you go from doing a PhD to working in tech? Back in the days, I started in university. I actually didn't think of taking a PhD in the first place. I was just starting, but then I just realized that I thought that learning is so awesome, so I just <laughs> liked that. So I immediately wanted to be become a PhD, so I did a lot of hard studies. But actually... While I was studying PhD, it, I actually realized it wasn't really me because it wasn't really, really deeply about science. It's more about publishing papers and get fundings to continue a career. So after I finished my PhD, it was not me, actually. Then I started as a developer, mainly in the security area. So I've been working a lot in the security business. And uh, I realized that the one thing that I liked I got things going on was with getting things done, getting projects done. So I slowly became also a manager type of person. And I actually worked a few years as a manager. Then I continued working in a SaaS company instead as an engineering manager for architecture teams and backend teams and stuff like that. But then you went back to development. How was that? When did you decide to kickstart Learn Python with Rune? I realized I missed programming a lot. And that's actually where my journey with Learn Python with Rune started. So it was actually because I wanted to learn programming again, because as a manager, slowly you lose touch of programming because you're not really doing any professional code anymore. And I kind of missed that. So a bit more than a year ago, then I got the idea, like it was actually when the Corona started, right? Got more and more time of sitting, working from home. And I was sitting like, I want to program again. And then I started this small projects, just producing small projects, publishing on a web page. And, and one thing led to another one. So it's just escalated. Now I work as a freelance consultant. They hire me and I do programming again in a freelance manner. And the reason I like that is because you kind of get more freedom. So if you want to have some vacation, you just do it. It's more freedom. So why Python? What makes Python so great? I had to start somewhere, right? And uh, I've been programming not so much professionally in Python, actually. But I've been programming in C, a lot of C programming. That's a really, really low-level programming language. And it's very effective, but you can make so many errors. And I mean, pointers and stuff like that is just a pain when you don't know. Because you can just do everything a processor can do, right? In Python, it's like abstracted away. And what happened with Python over the last maybe 10 years, it has so many libraries, so you can actually do everything efficiently with it. It's been developed a lot, for instance, in data science and big data and stuff like that. Actually, now I work with Python in a big data backend system. And you can do all this processing now because you have the libraries that can do all the 
you know, heavy work, but you just manage it in Python code. So you kind of get beautiful. It's easy to understand. It's readable. It's almost sugar code. That's the main reason I love Python. There are also some things that I'm not so fond of. Like what? What is Python not so great at? It does hide some of the things away. I mean, some of the objects are kind of how they're represented. When you're used to programming, you see, you know, everything exactly on a byte level. In Python, it's kind of hidden away. And I see a lot of beginners have a hard time struggling with what is an object or what is object-oriented programming, for instance. Those, those things, people, they don't really understand the difference because you say in Python, everything is an object, but really, is it? I don't really know. It depends on the implementation. And then the computer is also object-oriented programming on top of that. So I think it does a really good job, but there's some areas which are kind of not easy to understand in Python. But, I mean, the pain you get from that is way less than the efficiency of productivity you can get from writing code in Python. And how should one learn Python? What are your main pieces of advice? Nowadays, it's difficult to start, actually, in some sense, because there's so much information out there. So my first advice is often, what is it you want to achieve with Python? What is it that you want to learn? What is it you want to accomplish? Because if you just start thinking, I want to program in Python, then you start a little bit here and a little bit there, and all the information is available. The problem is it's unstructured. So you get excited about a little bit here, and then you do that, and then you hear, and it's different types of using Python. I would say if you want to program backends like I'm doing, then it's like one kind of doing. It's just want to do data science. It's a different way. You don't really need to master programming that well. You just need to use some libraries and understand a little bit about math and so on. So it really depends on what you want to achieve. I think people often, you know, they get too much around. So advice number one is figure out what it is you want with it. Then find one teacher, one style. It's easier than you take a little bit of this tutorial on the internet than a different tutorial. And people could do it very differently. And it's very difficult. The third issue, I think, that's expectations with how fast it is to learn. Because when you learn a new language, in the beginning, you understand it. You can listen to it, right? You understand it. But when you have to express yourself, it's different. It's difficult. You, you don't know how to say the things, but you understand it. And that's the same with programming. Suddenly, when you see the solution, how people solve it, say, yeah, I understand it all. And that makes totally sense. But when I have to write it, I have no idea how to solve problems. But when you see the solution, yeah, why couldn't I think of that? And that's kind of the same problem you have, right? When you start, you understand it, but you cannot express yourself in it. You cannot solve problems in it. So I think that will be my three main advices for beginners. One, figure out what you want. Two, Find one tutor, one style of program, one book, whatever makes you happy. And third, your expectations. It takes a bit more time to learn to write it than read it. Based on what you've seen over the years, what's the difference between a senior Python developer and a junior one? There are actually some aspects I think people oversee. One of them is when you have a junior in a job situation, you need to help them more. If you take somebody straight out, out of college, for instance, there are a lot of things they don't teach in college. It's like, you know, how do you do metrics? How do you do monitoring? How do you ensure everything is healthy in your system, right? You don't teach them that. So that's one thing they're lacking. It's experience. Another thing a junior does is it builds small systems. So if you take college or most self-taught people, they sit and do small projects because it's easy and you succeed with them. But there's enormous difference on having one tiny system with one tiny server and a distributed system with tens, just tens and sometimes hundreds of systems that need to interact 
and you need to figure out what to do and what happens when you do changes on this small thing here and how does it break? How do you build systems that scale in features and scales in amount of users that scales in amount of data? How do you build that? A junior can solve any problems, which is on small scale. A senior can solve on bigger scale. So that's the one aspect. Another aspect I noticed over the years is the juniors are often a bit afraid, you know, so... When you're starting in a team, you start developing, then a junior will not be so fast to contribute to it and want people to check the code more and help them more because they're a bit afraid. So when things go wrong, they don't really have the confidence just to do stuff and break stuff and put it up again and stuff like that. Because I think they like that kind of experience or confidence. So uh, I think that's also a thing that juniors are lacking. So often my advice for new people, it is, Build something bigger, build something with somebody else. Maybe that's also the third aspect. Yes, you do projects, they're tiny at college and you may be done some time with, together with other people, but try to make something bigger because you need to be able to make these interfaces that interact with each other where somebody builds one piece and somebody builds another piece because that will teach you kind of the architecture design principles behind it. I still think that's a less important part today because there's a tendency we go to all these microservices or services that are small in the framework that makes them easier to understand, easier to debug, easier to maintain for other people. So it's not as difficult as back in the days when you had this one big monolith that was just running everything, right? Now you have small services that are easy to understand. But it also moves the problem to how do you find problems when the system goes down because you need to have really, really good monitoring to find things nowadays. So you actually move some of the complexity over to the infrastructure guys or SRE guys. So you move some problems to them. So they are actually in higher rate now than they used to be. A good SRE is so valuable when you need to find problems in big systems. Thank you, Rune. Best of luck and until next time. And now... This is what happened in technology this week. A new global study by Mendix, looking at the adoption of low-code among IT leaders and developers, has revealed that 77% of businesses have already bought into the rising trend, with 75% of IT leaders acknowledging it is a trend they simply cannot miss. The increased demand for digital solutions brought about by the pandemic has helped speed up adoption. Traditional methods of developing software just can't keep up. The number of developers needed to deliver on projects keeps increasing, and despite the long hours and effort, two-thirds of software projects are being delivered behind schedule. As many as 64% of IT professionals admit that low-code tools are now their go-to workaround solutions for software development projects, 59% of which they say they work on together with business teams. And moving on to other news, although artificially generated voices have gotten much better at sounding like humans and early internet era tools like Loquendo, there is still a long road ahead for AIs to be able to impersonate us. They lack the natural sounding rhythm of human voices, the intonation, the randomness component. That's why NVIDIA has taken advantage of its presence at the Interspeech 2021 conference to unveil new research and tools that let developers capture these nuanced qualities by training AIs with their own voice. Currently, these new features are open source but can only be accessed through the company's well-gardened Nemo Python toolkit. And finally, a group of Swiss scientists has developed a technology that can turn footsteps on a wooden floor into electricity. The electricity is produced by a phenomenon known as the triboelectric effect by which two electrons are transferred from one positively charged object to another with a negative charge. 
You might be thinking, but wood is not particularly known for its electroconductive properties, right? Right. The researchers have mixed it with silicone and nanocrystals to make the magic happen. If properly developed at scale, the technology could potentially help us generate millions of kilowatts of electricity by just taking advantage of such a fundamental part of human existence as walking us. And that's it for this week. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn at MindQuest Talent and on Twitter at MindQuesting. Thank you for listening and until next time. Thank <laughs> you.